Thank you, choir, for that beautiful song of testimony of God's faithfulness and His uh, power as the only true God who is with us in everything. And as we begin our time of worship together in uh, studying in God's Word, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning thanking you for the blessings of our worship so far, the ways that you work through song and prayer, testimony of healing that we've heard, uh, the ways that you remind us that you are ever present with us. Lord, I pray that you would uh, bless our time as we open your word to study from it. Lord, that you would correct us and reprove us. Lord, that we might be shaped into the people that you would have us to be. I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 11 through 16 as we continue our study in uh, what it means to be a disciple, and particularly as we've been looking at over the course of the last few weeks, uh, the patterns that we are to follow as disciples. So we've seen that we're to follow the pattern of Old Testament Israel and the pattern of the apostles and uh, so we, we've worked through these different patterns. We've seen that we're to, st- to follow the pattern of the saints. And, and so now we come to one other pattern, a, a last pattern that we're to follow according to Scripture. And that is the pattern of faithful leaders. Uh, in, there's a, a book that we just recently finished studying in our Wednesday night study called the pilgrim's progress and if you know if if you were in that study you know what it's all about but uh, if you weren't in the study i'll just explain very briefly the pilgrim's progress was written uh, in the 1600s by a man named john bunyan uh, who was a separatist pastor basically a, a baptist pastor who was imprisoned because he was not a part of the, uh, the Church of England. And while he was in prison, he wrote the Pilgrim's Progress for his children. And the Pilgrim's Progress is what we call an allegory. It is, it is a story uh, that has its own twists and turns, but all of those twists and turns are meant to point to something else. They're meant to point to a spiritual truth. And uh, so in the story, there's this man named Christian who recognizes that he is in the city of destruction and that he needs to escape that city of destruction and he needs to get rid of the burden that is on his back. And so he hears from a man called Evangelist that he needs to go to a gate and get on a way called the Pilgrim's Way that he can walk to a place called the Celestial City. And so uh, Christian leaves the, the city of destruction and he goes through twists and turns. He makes it to this gate. And when he goes through the gate, he's met by a man named the interpreter. And he's invited to come into the interpreter's house. And in this house are all these different object lessons that the interpreter wants pilgrim, I mean, wants Christian to learn from before he gets on the pilgrim's way and heads to the celestial city. And the first object lesson that he comes to is a painting that's hanging on the wall. And in this painting is depicted this stern man who has his back to the world and he is facing towards heaven. And he has a book in his hand and he has lifted his eyes towards heaven with this book in his hand And over his head is hovering a crown that is coming out of heaven and is getting ready to rest on his head. And as Christian looks at this painting, he's kind of befuddled by the painting. He doesn't understand what it means. So he turns 
to the interpreter and he asks, what does this painting mean? And the interpreter says that on your way to the celestial city, this is the type of person that you should listen to. A person who is facing heaven with his eyes towards heaven, his back turns to the world, his, head, uh, his mind and heart devoted to the word of God, and he is proclaiming the truth to others. So I confess that I have a little selfish motivation in liking this, this analogy that John Bunyan gives because this painting is depicting a pastor. It's not just depicting any pastor, though. It's not just depicting anyone who would claim that they have the call of God in their life or anyone who can really tear it up from the pulpit. That's not who it's depicting. No, John Bunyan points out through this parable of this painting that there's a certain type of pastor that the Christian is to follow. And so this morning, I want to consider the example of that godly church leaders, not just pastors, but also pastors and deacons, that pastors and deacons set for us as disciples. So to see that, let's read 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 1, it says, Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which, ha- which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Devote yourself to them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So from this text, I want you to understand today that disciples are to follow the pattern of godly leaders in their character and their commitment. So we're to follow, as disciples of Jesus Christ, the pattern of godly leaders that God sets before us, and pastors and deacons particularly, in their character and in their commitment. So first, understand that we're to follow godly leaders in their character. Now, I have, in in saying this, I have a bit of a confession to make, and I realize as I say that, that's a terrible place to say that I have a confession when I'm talking about character. But uh, I I have a confession to make because in preparing to preach this sermon, I came to realize that there's a long-held belief that I have had that I needed to change because I came up in a generation of pastors who were trained or taught that it was wrong to point people to your own personal character. And I I feel that there were good reasons for this, which I'll explain, but ultimately I've come, as I've studied this series on discipleship, I've come to recognize that this is actually an unbiblical view. And so I confess, as your pastor, that I've held to an unbiblical view that I now change. And uh, the concern in this view was that, you know, you in telling people that you need to focus on a pastor's or you need to look to a pastor's 
personal character. There are two reasons that that might be concerning. One is, some have argued that this takes the focus off of Christ and puts it on the pastor to say that you should look to the pastor's personal character as an example. And the second concern would be that there's no such thing, and this is an important concern to have, there's no such thing as a perfect pastor or deacon. Can I get an amen? Uh, (laughs) um, There's no such thing as a perfect pastor or deacon. It doesn't matter how godly the leader may be. He will still never be a sinless leader. And he will never uh, make every decision in a right way or do everything in the way that it should be done. So the concern is that there could be real danger in pointing people to follow the character of a pastor or a deacon and then that godly leader fail in some way and shipwreck someone's faith. Yet, even with that concern in mind, and I do think it's an important concern to hold in mind, the Bible very clearly calls believers to follow the example of pastors and deacons. In verse 12 of our text, Paul says that Timothy is to set an example for his flock. So when Paul lists the qualifications for deacons and pastors back in 1 Timothy chapter 3, most of those qualifications are matters of character. In fact, just to give you a rundown of all of the character-based qualifications for pastors and deacons. It says, Paul says that pastors and deacons are to be above reproach. They're to be sober-minded. They're to be self-controlled, respectable, well thought of by outsiders, dignified, blameless, and of good standing. All of that points to the character of the people that we set in authority within the church. So it's obvious from this that one way that we know how to walk as a disciple is through the example of those who God has set and called to be servants in the church. So there's a very real sense in which the character of a leader in the church impacts the witness of that leader, impacts the willingness of the people to listen to him from the pulpit or in service in the deacon body. If I stand here before you preaching a sermon on forgiveness, but I, you know that I have an unforgiving heart, how could I expect you to believe and do what I do not model myself? If a deacon were to sit on the deacon council and demand that others serve uh, while hardly setting foot in the church himself, how could he expect people to volunteer? So a church leader is called to practice what he preaches. And as I've heard numerous times in the past two and a half years, you have had just such an example set before you for over 50 years in this church. In the time I've been here, I've heard a few people comment and compliment Brother Watson for his preaching. And I know he's a good preacher because I've heard him preach. But I've only had a handful, a few people mention uh, that they really loved his preaching. But what I've heard every time Brother Watson has been brought up is people say something like this. That man 
showed me how to live as a Christian in the way that he lived himself. That man, in fact, this is a common frame that I've heard, refrain that I've heard as anybody brings up Brother Watson, and that is, he lives what he preaches. This is exactly the point that Paul is making in this passage. So consider from this passage five ways that a church leader is to live as an example to other disciples. So look with me at verse verse 12 to find those five uh, ways that a church leader lives as an example. First, Paul says that Timothy is to be an example in speech. What leaders say can have a lifelong impact on their congregations, for better or for worse. So pastors and deacons should guard their speech. We should be careful about what we say and how we say it. We should speak the truth. We should speak the truth, but we should do so with love and a design towards building up. Miss April taught a lesson in Sunday school on the difference between criticism and correction. And it's an important lesson for all of us to learn, but especially for those in leadership positions within the church. Why are you offering the criticism that you offer? Are you offering it to bring that person down or to build them up? Our design should be for the edification of God's people, for the building up of God's people. Second, Paul says that Timothy is to be an example in conduct. The Greek word used here means manner of life. It's not just the, the, the way you behave in public, which is typically how we think of conduct, how you carry yourself in public, but it's the manner of life. It's a question of not just a question of morality, but a question of how you order, how you form your life. So this is why Paul's requirements in Paul's requirements of uh, the deacon and the elder, there's so much dealing with the family. How does the deacon raise his children? How does he relate to his wife? How does the pastor relate to his wife and his family? The reason Paul gives those requirements in 1 Timothy chapter 3 is because your family will betray your lack of conduct faster than anything else. I think I've told the story before of uh, uh, the fact that we were neighbors with W.S. Godwin and his family and and uh, my, my dad liked W.S. We get a lot, they get along to this day very well, but there were a couple of times where he would get irritated with something W.S. did as a neighbor because everybody gets irritated with their neighbor. You can just confess it. But, um, but uh, he, he got, would get irritated with his neighbor every once in a while, and he would mess up. My dad would mess up and say that in front of his four-year-old son, Patrick, my brother. And so one day we were over playing with, uh, with the Godwin children and Mr. W.S. got on to Patrick because Patrick, as he was wanting to do, was doing something he shouldn't have been doing. And uh, Patrick didn't like the fact that Mr. W.S. was getting on to him. So he looks Mr. W.S. right in the face and he says, my dad doesn't like you very much. <laughs> and so your children will betray who you really are. They will betray your conduct. And, and uh, so that's why Paul puts these requirements for how a deacon and how a pastor runs his family. Because the conduct that a man has when no one else is looking but his four-year-old son 
is, is a, an indication of who he is as a believer and as an example to others. Third, we are to be an example in love. Deacons and pastors are called to love their flocks in an unconditional manner. We do not love you because you're good or noble or because you deserve it, but because the love of Christ compels us to love and to serve. Fourth, we are to be an example in faith. Church leaders should be the first to pray when there is a concern or need in the church. And, and I think I've shared this with the deacons numerous times that is concerning to me as a pastor, the number of pastors and deacons and, and others, <laughs> other church leaders that I've served with. It, it seems like those people that are in leadership are the least likely to pray so often when something comes up, when there's business to be considered, when there's something hard to do, we tend to just go and do it and bull through it instead of hitting our knees in faithful prayer to the Lord. But a church leader should be an example of faithfulness, an example of faith through their life of prayer. And finally, we are to be an example in purity. So this is the idea of living a holy life. Uh, the sincere righteousness of deacons and pastors should be on full display, not in a hypocritical way, not out of show, but out of a sense of sincere devotion to Christ. That should be on full display for the congregation. But church leaders aren't, uh, aren't just called to set a good example of character. Paul also tells Timothy to set a pattern of commitment to the Word of God. So in verses 13 through 16, Paul directs Timothy to remain committed to five practices related to the word. And he says that Timothy should devote himself, notice in verse 13, to the public reading of scripture, exhortation, and teaching. So I take from this list uh, to be a, a category, three categories of what the pastor's gospel ministry should be. So first... I am, as your pastor, to ensure that this congregation is immersed in the Word of God. And you'll notice, it says the first thing that Timothy is to do is to ensure that there is a public reading of Scripture. And I, I found it fascinating when I first came here that this is something y'all were already doing. You already have people every Sunday that read from the Word publicly. And I just doubled down on that. So we we read in the call to worship, we read in the in the scripture reading that we had that Kathy did today. And uh I besides that, I am committed to ensuring that everything we do in worship and as a church is led by the word of God. From the songs that we sing to the order of worship that we have to the things that we invest our time in, it is to be governed by the Word of God. Second, I am to exhort you. So this word exhort means to call near or to summons. It's the practice of proclaiming the Word of God to His people. Uh, if you attend more than one worship service during a week with us, you'll notice that the approach that I take to preaching on Sunday morning is very different than the approach that I take on Sunday night or Wednesday night. And that's intentional because I believe that the chief aim of preaching 
is to exhort or proclaim the word of God like a herald would to announce the coming of a king. I'm, when I stand up here on a Sunday morning, I take the responsibility I have very seriously to proclaim to you, to call you, to call you, to summon you, to draw near to the Lord and to commit your life to Him. And finally, I as your pastor am to teach you. Now this is different work than exhorting. Teaching is the work of building you up in an understanding of doctrine. And so this is the focus of my Sunday night and Wednesday night teaching. And an important note that I'll point out here is that Paul sees a difference between exhorting and teaching. And it is something that you as disciples should commit yourself to. It is not enough just to listen to good preaching that riles you up and gets you ready to go out into the world and serve. You should at least commit to that. But you're also to commit to and submit to teaching, which is Sunday school and Wednesday night and Sunday night and other opportunities that you might have during the week to study the Bible and to learn deeper and deeper in God's Word. It's not enough just to get a Sunday morning sermon and go out. You need to devote yourself to teaching from God's Word. And so Paul also encourages Timothy with two other practices. In verse 14, he charges him not to neglect his gift. Now I can say from my own personal experience that there are 1,000 distractions in pastoral ministry that call me away from the gift of preaching. There are concerns for administration and missions and denominational turmoil and on and on the list could go. But a pastor is not to be distracted by those things to the point that he neglects his central calling to preach the word to the people of God. And again, this is something that the congregation needs to recognize because, again, there can be so many concerns that we take up. We've got a lot of them coming up with centrifuge and VBS and, and all the different things that we'll be doing this summer. But the central thing that we should commit to and I should commit to is the preaching of the Word and the study of God's Word. Also, the last thing that Paul calls Timothy to is in verse 16. Paul ends this charge with a warning to keep a close watch on yourself and your teaching. The pastor is to watch his character and his commitment to the Word. He is to guard those things against the attacks of Satan and against false teachers. And he is to do so, notice the warning that he gives at the end of that verse. You're to do so because in doing so, you save yourself and those who hear you. So, no pressure, right? <laughs> there, there's a real seriousness to the role of pastor to preach faithfully the Word of God and is something that anyone that we put into this position should take seriously. So the Lord has been tremendously faithful to Antioch West over the years. He's given us faithful leaders who have served as deacons and have laid the groundwork for a healthy church. I've heard comments and mentioned some myself from the pulpit, those who have served faithfully and, and been a, a witness a, 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 an example for us to follow. And he's seen fit over the many years of this church 
to give you a faithful pastor who guarded himself in this congregation with integrity for over 50 years. My prayer for this church is that the Lord will continue this favor, that he will raise up godly men of the next generation to serve as leaders in this church, and that he will empower me to persist in the faithful exhortation and teaching of the word and in my character before you, that I might live as an example and that we as godly leaders might live as examples before you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for...